We'll pick up in verse 11 here in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians in a message I've entitled Triumphant Faith. We'll shift gears and get to a, a place that I believe we, we all can look at. And it ties really into the, the National Day of Prayer if you want to look at it that way. In case you haven't figured out, the devil hates you. Anybody figure that out? The devil, his, his very name, Satan, means deceiver. Apollyon, the, the devil, uh, means the destroyer. He works by deceit, discouragement, and destruction. That's how the enemy works on us personally and in our world. He is in no shape or form God's equal, but he is absolutely powerful. And in this case, the Apostle Paul is confronted by an enemy that he cannot see. But that enemy is using the oldest devices known to mankind. And the word in Scripture often used to describe the devices of the enemy is strategies or stratagems. The enemy is wise, he is crafty, and he is out to destroy, deceive, diminish. He will do anything he can to discourage you and to thwart the plans of God. And so let's pick up in verse 11. Paul's writing about this trouble that he's faced. He's being questioned as to whether he even has the right to, to speak as an apostle. And it says in verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, going back to last time. We ended with that verse. We cannot be ignorant of the fact that the enemy is at work in our world. When you talk to people, and if they're differing in their political bent, it is not those differences that are going to cause them to hate one another. It is the enemy that's going to try and separate them so that they no longer see one another's humanity and common need. The enemy is at work in our world. And furthermore, and here's Paul's case on this, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Ministry, life, the church is not an isolationist game. It's not one-on-one, -on -one, you against the devil. It is us joining arms. It is us in need of one another so that we can fight the good fight of faith. If you want to have triumphant faith, I would encourage you to not try and go it alone. Paul's saying, look, I, I was really looking forward to seeing Titus. He strengthened me, encouraged me. We, we need one another in ministry. You need each other in marriage. We, we need our family units intact. We need for God to work in our churches in a way that binds us together instead of separating us into little tiny units that are all, uh, in essence, trying to one-up one another. And now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And we're going to dig into this tonight. 
sometimes I wonder if the church smells the way it should. And when I say that, it's in reference to this particular passage. Are we the fragrance of Christ? Is the world actually getting to experience the Lord Jesus because the world has experienced the church or is the world smelling something else? Now, I don't know how many of you absolutely hate the perfume counters in large department stores, um, but I do because inevitably somebody comes out and they try and spray some spray of death on you that mixed with the other things that they already shot into the air throughout the last hour, there's something that happens there to your olfactory senses and and all of a sudden it's just like I cannot run out of there fast enough. There is a smell that to me is the smell of death. It is powerful. It's pervasive. It's like I don't want to be anywhere near there. I pray in Jesus' name that the church through its differences does not reach the place to where all of those things mixed together which are not one fragrance but the fragrance of all kinds of other things mixed together does not leave an everlasting scent of Jesus. We've been called to present Christ to this world, Christ crucified for the remission of sin. The gospel is based on a crucified Christ that died and was buried and raised from the dead so that we might have eternal life. And all the rest of the stuff that we sometimes try and cram into what we call the church, I think sometimes causes that fragrance to be missed. For we are the fragrance of God, the fragrance of Christ, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, you realize that the one fragrance the church leaves, it leaves to everyone. It all depends on how you receive it. Depends on what happens with it. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Brothers and sisters, You as a Christian have been called to be the fragrance of Christ in this world. You you have not been called to determine who it is that will receive that fragrance. You've simply been called to be that fragrance. And if we're going to do that, we need to keep it simple. We need to make sure that we're representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Who is sufficient for these things? Paul's going to answer that in the next chapter, and I can give you a little preview. No one. For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. Got an email this afternoon from a, quote, healing ministry. They wanted to have a healing ministry service here at this church. And I emailed them back and asked them how they found out about us. He said, well, we looked at the photos on your website, and obviously you're a large church, so there's a lot of healing to be. That's peddling the word of God. I won't tell you what I said. (laughs) But it wasn't yes. Come on out. Amen? Amen? 
We don't peddle the word of God. We're not in it. We're not going to sell tickets so that you can sit here in the front row. You want to be back a couple of rows anyway. But as of sincerity, but from God, and every last person who claims to speak for God speaks in the sight of God in Christ. This is one of those verses that when a pastor reads it, it kind of gives you the chills. Everything that I say, one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and say, Jeff, why did you say that? What was it you were trying to get at? You know, were you actually teaching the word or was that from you? The plans that Paul had laid out had fallen completely apart and Satan thinks and strategizes and plans and he works to do whatever he can do to, to cause us to just give up. You know, so often when I talk, especially to young pastors, and you, you ask them, you know, well, how's, how's the ministry going? You know, you've been at it for a week. And, and, you know, how are you doing? You've been at it for a month. How are you doing? You've been at it for a year. How are you doing? Oh, man, it's tough. You know, you hear the same thing out of people who've been in the ministry for decades. It's tough. It's hard. Why is it hard? Because the enemy hates us. And he hates you as a Christian wife. He hates you as a Christian husband. He hates you as a Christian son. He hates you as a Christian daughter. He hates you as a Christian grandparent. He just plain hates the body of Christ because we are the fragrance of Christ in the world. He doesn't like it when you stand up for Jesus. He doesn't like it when you speak up for Jesus. And he sure doesn't like it when you shake things up for Jesus. And so you have to know that you're in a battle. Paul is now experiencing that battle firsthand. And the enemy's trying to dig into his plans. And so he's basically saying, look, I had all these wonderful plans. Titus is supposed to meet me here. And no sooner than that letter had gone out, then it was no longer true. I was emailing back and forth between a couple of continents today. I can't tell you how cool that is. You know, because I'm old enough to remember, you know, duplicate and triplicate carbon paper and waiting for letters to come back. And, you know, there was no email, okay? There was mail, snail mail and, and it would go and sometimes it would come back but you, you would you would write there was no cell phones people didn't wander around able to text one another from africa to california and get an inst- instantaneous response remember who paul is there was no communication people didn't even write during his day generally because the things to write on were so expensive the common person didn't write letters Maybe you sent a word with somebody. You might wait months for word to come back. And so the Apostle Paul makes his plans. And you can imagine with it taking that long how easy it was for the devil to discourage. All he's got to do is keep one person from hearing it. You know, what happens to me is it's like if I don't text somebody right back, I get three more follow-up texts. It's like, call me, call me, call me. You know, I get on my WhatsApp account and I've got video messages and and people are talking to me on my phone face to face. I'm like, I can't hide from them. (laughs) 
But it was easy for Paul to be discouraged because he could go months without hearing from somebody. How important is it in our day and time with all the tools we have to make sure that we don't fall into Satan's plans? Because you can take that same cell phone and use it for some unseemly purposes. You can take that same instantaneous communication and use it to hate on somebody. I did not know this, but I I just found out on Instagram you can actually hate like people. Now, I don't know how that works. If if you like them twice, I guess that's a hate-like. So if I've hate-liked you, I'm sorry. I thought it was a double like, and all this time it's actually I was disrespecting you. So forgive me. But, but sometimes we look at some of the things going on in our world, we forget how easy we have it relative to what was going on in the early days of the church. So, so we should do better at fighting the good fight of faith and having triumphant faith. You know, probably most of you don't grow your own vegetables, amen? Some of you may grind your own wheat because you don't want all the preservatives in it. But I'm pretty sure most of us have not had to go out and slaughter our food today. And so we who have it a little easier in the world that we live in ought to find time to leave the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. Because we've got more time, really, than people had then. Truth is, for all of us, we can get into a faith funk every once in a while. So I was sitting there thinking on this. All of our greatest heroes of the Bible, when you look at them, there's not one in the entire Bible that we don't have some type of negative declaration about at some point in time. That place of faith. Elijah's the classic example. Here's this guy who's, who's duking it out with a total of 850 prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth and he like throws down on them and they're like toast. They're, they're completely destroyed. And then he ends up running away from little Jezebel. I mean, we all get into little faith funks every once in a while. We're subject to the same passions as everyone else on this planet. It doesn't matter how strong you are. doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. We can all get to that place where we need to get back to that place of faith. And sometimes... it's in those situations that the Lord shows us some places in our own lives that need to be dealt with. For Paul, the situation in Ephesus is blowing up. And if you read about it in the book of Acts, you have this riot with the silversmiths. You've got all this stuff going on. And Paul's a wanted man. And I mean, you would think the apostle Paul, everywhere he went, you know, like the Lord would send a couple legions of angels and sinners would just fall down at his feet and repent. And that no matter, no one could touch him. You know, when I, when I map out Paul's life from a human perspective, I'm putting like the holy bubble of Antioch around him or something. You know what I mean? He's like, nobody's going to touch him because he's going to take the word out. And he's just going to be able, wherever he goes, he's just going to be able to preach. But that's not how it rolls. It didn't go that way then. It doesn't go that way now. Paul's faith was tested. And if God allowed the Apostle Paul's faith to be tested, you better believe your faith is going to be tested. Because Paul had watched the work of the Lord in his own life. 
Paul's thinking, he's, you know, he's going to have this great ministry, and Titus is going to join him, and all of a sudden, he's in deep depression. It's like, I can't believe this is happening to me. So he heads off to, from Troas to Macedonia, and I think the word for you tonight is cut yourself some slack. I know so many Christians that just beat themselves up. I'm guilty of doing it to my own self, so I, I'm speaking, maybe I'm speaking to some of you tonight here. Cut yourself some slack. Paul wasn't always victorious. That doesn't mean you should build in failure, but that simply means that every once in a while, you get into a faith funk. Paul wasn't, he may have been down, but he was not out, amen? So it was there in Troas that that Paul raised Eutychus from the dead. So, you know, it's not like everything went bad. But it was tough. We see him move to Macedonia, and he begins to do this incredible work there. And the Greeks all of a sudden imagine speaking in the life of this Greek culture that is intensely intellectual, centered on philosophy and debate. As you read there, especially in the book of Acts, when, when Paul's in that region of the world, Acts 16 and 17. Uh, and then as he, he goes up onto Mars Hill and he begins to d- debate and he's talking to him about their unknown gods, you might want to notice something. Not everybody believed. You know, Paul's kind of putting himself out there. And, and it says about that situation that some mocked the apostle Paul. Now, if there's anybody that knew their Bible, it was Paul wasn't written yet, but he was writing it as he was speaking those words. The Holy Spirit was authoring those things and bringing them to life. And here's the very guy that, Paul's, that God's going to use to author about a third of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul gets mocked. So you think when you take your Bible out at work, you think you might catch a little flack for it? You think when you share with your neighbor that, you know, you're actually one of those people that goes to church more than once a year? That they might have something to say about that? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get discouraged every once in a while. But it would fuel his ministry. And so from that, notice the shout. He says, now thanks be unto God. <clears throat> because he always leads us in triumph. <clears throat> that's, not, that's not the cry of a depressed man. That's the cry of a victorious man. That's someone who's so settled in what he knows and believes that in spite of what he's going through, he's still going to say, God is good. Amen? Because God is good. He's going to meet Titus, and he's going to receive that cool water for his thirsty soul, exactly as David wrote there in Psalm 25. He's going to be able to take in a little bit. He's going to get a breather. Paul's letters undoubtedly played a part in the, in the difficulty that he was facing. Can I tell you that when you stand for truth, you're going to face some difficulty for fan, standing for the truth. Not everybody's going to want to hear the truth. Sometimes people will come to me and say, oh, you know, I, I just had to shake, my, shake the dust off my feet because they didn't receive me. Then you find out what that actually means. It's like somebody mocked them because they shared the gospel. That is not shaking the dust off your feet when someone mocks you for sharing the gospel. That's get back in there and do it again. 
Just because somebody doesn't want to hear it doesn't mean that you're wrong and they're right. It means that the enemy is powerful and persuasive. And you just need to get back in there and keep fighting. You can't give up. You need to speak as though someone's been victorious. And Paul's looking here at at a very unique event that it was primarily done by the Romans. Uh, The Greeks also did it, the Carthaginians as well. But it's called a triumph or or a parade as we would know it. But it was interesting during those days and times that when a hero was actually granted a triumph, what would happen, the Senate would vote on it. The Roman Senate votes that this person is to be honored with a triumph. And typically the disarmed prisoners would be chained to chariot wheels and and drugged behind horses and the spoils of war would be with them. And it was visible proof of the victory. And so Paul is using that analogy here and speaking of his own triumph, the devil's being drugged behind Jesus. Amen? That's what's going on. The triumph that we have in Christ, the enemy's defeated. Satan is chained to a chariot wheel going around and around, and Jesus is driving the chariot. And Paul's saying, look, we're in a triumphal parade. That's the truth. But you can choose to not participate. You can sit on the sidelines and bemoan your life. You can do all those things. Or you can get in the parade and realize that we have been called to actually make a spectacle of the enemy by the way we live our lives. We're we're to live in triumph in that sense. And that's why he shouts this out. Look, you're going to take a beating or two. There's no question about it. That's what's going to happen. But you're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. And so as that parade has started, it started at the cross, amen? Amen. When Jesus said it is finished, when he cried out to tell us die, when he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, that was the beginning of that parade. The end of the parade is when Jesus grabs Satan by the neck, binds him in chains, and throws him in the pit. Amen? So, so we're in the parade right now. The victory has already been won. The parade is strung out through the age of grace. And what's going to happen one day is a public spectacle is going to be made of the deceiver. He's going to be hauled out and defeated at the Battle of Armageddon. There's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ. And when that is over, when God has finally said, we win, here's proof of it, then Satan's going to get the final blow. But for right now, He's still got a few guys that haven't been captured yet, like demons, some of the workers of iniquity, princes, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age, and they're still roaming around in the crowd going, no, you didn't, you didn't win. And every once in a while, they find you. But you need to remember who you are. Our king is already driving the chariot at the front of the triumph. It's already been won. Right now he's making a loop. He went up to heaven. He's coming back to earth. Amen? Jesus is coming again. So we have to look at our lives that way. Now maybe you're someplace in the middle of that remaining part of the parade. But you've got to realize who you are in Christ And you need to take that attitude of shout of triumph. 
You see, the reality of that is this fragrance that we now emit. You see, to the person who's a demon watching the triumphal parade of Jesus, they're going, we're dead. You see, if you're on the enemy's side, you got to know that the enemy's been defeated. Christ has already won that war. Death itself was defeated at the cross. Amen? But they haven't quite given up yet. And so some of them are thinking, well, maybe, you know, the enemy's going to make a little bit of return. You've got to live your life. I have to live my life as though I know who won. A lot of Christians don't. They kind of play in between the winning and the losing side. We call that being in the flesh or being in the spirit. We call that being in the world or not of this world. And that fragrance is either the fragrance of life that leads unto godliness or the fragrance of death that leads unto death. And so it's up to you what fragrance you put on. The word that's translated fragrance is the same word that was used for this perfume that Mary poured out. You remember what Jesus said about it? He said, don't bother her. Let her pour it all out. Why? Because he's worthy. He's won the battle. It's already done. It was grace that was beginning to float through our world. I don't know if you've thought about that, but grace is the fragrance that comes from the body of Christ. People are supposed to be able, in that sense, metaphorically, smell Jesus because they've smelled the grace of God in your life. They've smelled the glory of God in your life, the power of God in your life. It is an unmistakable aroma. You see, we love that fragrance. When you talk to another believer about the grace of God, we're going like, hallelujah! But to someone who doesn't know the Lord, what's grace? Grace is for weaklings. I don't give unmerited favor to anybody. But for we who love God, Oh, I love the fragrance of grace. Amen? Because I need grace myself. So I love the fragrance of grace. Unsaved hate it. Saints love it. It's, that same, it's the same smell. It's the same fragrance. It's that fragrance of grace. And by the way, that's how the gospel spreads the easiest. People can understand it when they can touch it in your life. And you see, you can kind of see how this works even in our natural world. I don't know if you know anybody who's actually allergic to certain flowers, but I I bumped into it. I had no idea. We had a guy one year at the camp that was actually allergic to the smell of roses. I don't know how you're allergic to the smell of roses. I'm not allergic to the smell of roses. But he literally said he could die from the smell of roses. He'd go into anaphylaxis. His airway would close up. Hives would start. And 
Now, that's not a normal reaction to the smell of roses, amen? But can I tell you that same smell to someone who's not allergic to them is pretty awesome. It's how you respond. It's who you are. You see, to someone who loves the Lord, the smell of grace is like, oh, give me some more of those. Our roses just started to bloom in our yard. And so we've got a couple of them that are like killer. You know, isn't it weird? Some roses don't smell at all. But we've got a couple of those that you smell them. It's like, man, you can smell them from 20 feet away on a warm day. It's beautiful. We are supposed to be so filled with grace that when someone metaphorically smells the grace of God in your life, that they go, man, what is that fragrance? What is it, Jeff, that you're wearing? I'm wearing the grace of God. You can get two responses to the grace of God. Throughout Scripture, you see this principle in play start to finish. The Bible is literally filled with the story of two people, very often from the same family, that hear the same message, same environment, same parents, same love, same teaching, same discipline. One turns to God and the other turns to crime. Think about it. You know their names. Jesus speaks of the prodigal son and the elder brother. Do you remember that sometimes people so focus in on the prodigal son that they forget the response of the elder brother? The elder brother is tweaked about the grace. The elder brother hates the grace. The elder brother is going, I can't believe you're going to take that pig slopper and do something good for him. It was the same smell. It's the same father. It was the same grace. He girded up his loins for both of them. There's no indication from that parable that the elder brother did not also receive the goodness of the father. But he so hated his brother that he hated the grace that his brother got. The same is true for Cain and Abel. Actually, the smell of Abel's offering, the smell of roasted meat, even though you would think that Cain's offering, which was a flower arrangement, would have smelled better, amen? But one turns to hate and anger and bitterness and murder, And the other turns to the Lord. Isaac, a believer. Ishmael, a mocker and a rebel. Esau grows up profane. Jacob ends up being Israel, governed by God. You you see, it's not the fragrance that changes, it's the reception of the fragrance. And so we've got to keep the fragrance pure. We have, we have to keep making sure that what we're leaving behind is the fragrance of Jesus. So that not only can people understand it, but it's not mixed with anything else. For those of you that remember James Harrote, the Yorkshire veterinarian who wrote 
All Things Bright and Beautiful, All Things Great and Small, his series of books. His last book was Everything, Every Living Thing. I think he wrote it in, it's like 92 or 93. But in that book, he, he's a veterinarian, so he's studying sheep and lambs. And he has an interesting thing happen to you. He speaks about it in the book. There's a sheep that died while giving birth to a lamb, and none of the other sheep would actually nurse that lamb. It didn't have the right smell. And he had the opposite, that on the same farm, a sheep gave birth to a lamb, and that lamb died at birth. And the canny farmer skins the dead lamb and wraps the fleece around the motherless lamb, and then the mother would nurse that lamb. You see, you got to have the right smell. You, you, you have to have the fragrance of grace. You have to have the fragrance of Jesus. We've been wrapped up in it, and so we can't mix those fragrances. You either have it or you don't have it. And so your Bible says that God wrapped us up in Christ, just exactly like James Herod equates in his book. We've been wrapped up in Christ. We are now hidden in him. If you want to look at your life in that sense, the smell that you have is the smell of Christ, the fragrance of Christ. You're so completely hidden and wrapped up in him that when people meet you, they're supposed to greet the fragrance of Christ, the grace of God pouring out of your life. The truth of the gospel, the love of God. That's how we have triumphant faith. When when I am most like Jesus... I am of the most use to Jesus. When my life exudes his presence, people have the best chance of knowing him. You see some, like I alluded to, like the Apostle Paul, can hear the goodness of that message and reject it. There's no question about that. But that doesn't mean we change the fragrance. It doesn't mean we begin to mix up our own smell. We don't, we don't take some things out of the word of God so that it makes something new. We stick with the original smell. I don't know how many of you have done this, but you know when I look at the cost, especially of, well, you ladies too, but men's cologne is like ridiculously expensive. It's like, what is that? 85 bucks for one and a half ounces or something? It's like, what is that, spray gold? You know. So me being the bargain hunter that I am, I think Walgreens has got some of that fake stuff. This right here is polo black. That'd be 95 bucks anywhere else. 7.95. That there are going to be some awesome smells. Honey, smell my polo black? That ain't polo black. It's, it's something else, but it's not that. No, you, you, you can kind of sort of mix the, the basic smell, but it isn't, it isn't God's grace that's coming out. It's not his love that comes out. It comes out maybe as religion. It comes out as work sometimes. It comes out as something else. And so we've got to be careful we're not mixing our own fragrance by pulling part of the word of God out so that we don't have the right Jesus. 
so that we don't have the Jesus that says, you know, we really do need to live lives as close to sinlessly as possible. We, we, we change the good smell that really is Jesus and we make it something else. God allows things to come into our lives and what we don't want is Bible termites, amen? You know, you get in there, we're doing some work in my mom's house, just saying, my goodness, termites are terrible. You open up a wall, it's like, I don't even know what's holding this up anymore. You know, it still looks like the house is okay, but out of the walls is dust from where the studs used to be. You know, there are people who live their lives like that in Christ. They have so allowed the Bible termites to eat at the word of God that they no longer actually have the word of God. They've got word of God dust. It's like chewed up bits of the Bible and they've been spit out on the floor and they're no longer even what the word says. And so to prevent that, God allows our lives to be tested. He says, because when you are tested, you're tried, you're going to come out with your faith shining as gold because it's in the real deal. You, You don't let the termites get in and eat it up. And sometimes God allows some very strange things to happen in your life. He has in mind. Sometimes he has to tear down, if you will, the things that you actually do trust in that are not him. Anybody had that happen in your life? Business, relationships, money, government, friends, family. God sometimes allows things to come into your life so you'll stop depending on the wrong thing and start depending on the real thing. Amen? One of the strangest monuments in the entire world is found in a, in a little tiny town in Alabama. It's in Enterprise, Alabama. It is actually a monument, that's it, to the bull weevil. Now, for those of you that are familiar with cotton farming, bull weevils nearly wiped out the cotton crop in all of the United States. Massive disaster. But to show you how God works in our lives, sometimes destroying that which you're actually trusting in, you see, the people of Enterprise, most of them were involved in cotton farming. And so what happened when this happened, they looked at it, well, what do you want us to do? And they began to pray. You know what they planted? In response to the bull weevil epidemic, peanuts. Their income went up by almost 10%. So God allowed a bull weevil to eat up which they had depended on, which was the cotton, to get them to turn to something that they hadn't even considered, which was peanuts, so that he could bless them. And I want to just encourage you, you know, sometimes God allows things into the field of your life that you don't like. But they're not always bad. Sometimes they're really good things that are gnawing away at the stuff of this world that you've been depending on. And so Paul says when he came to Troas there in verse 12 to preach Christ's gospel, there was a door opened, but he didn't have any rest because he couldn't find Titus. He had been depending on Titus. He kind of shifted a little bit from total dependence on the Lord to depending a little bit on Titus. He says, you know what? 
I'm going to keep trusting in the Lord. And we have to do that too. We have to keep trusting in the Lord. If you want to have triumphant faith, you have to keep trusting in the Lord. The battle's been won. The victory has already been secured. And because of that, the incense that would go before a Roman triumph would just spread everywhere. And when that happened, people from miles around, oh, there's another triumph going on. And the same is true for us. When they can smell the grace of God in our lives, when they can see the goodness of the Lord in our lives, when they can taste and see that the Lord is good, amen, and we give God the glory for that, then they're drawn to the King. They're drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to the Savior. The fact of the matter is, when he asks this question, who is sufficient for these things, he's going to answer it in verse 5 of the next chapter. It's only Christ. The question is, do you have, do I have, do we have that truly triumphant faith? Are are we willing to let God put bull weevils in our cotton field so that we'll go, you know what, maybe we're supposed to change a little. Maybe we're supposed to plant peanuts. You see, those circumstances could have driven the people of Enterprise Alabama to just give up, couldn't they? It's like, man, we have four generations of cotton. What do we do? But instead, it drove them to pray. And it drove them to change. It drove them to look at life like God's still good. And it ended up being a blessing for them. Yes, were they initially discouraged? Sure. Did the enemy try and discourage them? Absolutely. Did people misunderstand what they were doing when they erected a monument to the bull weevil? Most likely. But you have the resources to win. God has granted you favor because of who you are in Christ. And because of that exactly as Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us, amen? What can separate us from the love of God? Are we not more than conquerors through him who loves us? And because of that, we can walk in triumphant faith, even when the enemy is trying to discourage you, trying to destroy you, trying to dissuade you from doing anything for the Lord. We walk in that faith. The fragrance of Jesus comes forth out of us. Amen? Let's do that. Let's walk in triumphant faith. Amen? Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. I'm going to have some of the pastors come up and be available if you want to pray with one of them. If you've got something the Lord's laid on your heart. Don't let the enemy get to you. He's a defeated foe. Amen? And one day he's going to get chained one last time to one last chariot and he's taking a one-way ride. In the meantime, hang in there and walk in that faith. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for strengthening my faith, our faith as a church, continuing to use us and bless us. And Lord, we pray in these areas of life where we've began to trust in something that's not worthy of that trust, maybe like the great prophet Isaiah, 
that it was in the year that King Uzziah died that he actually saw you high and lifted up. Uzziah was in the way, blocking his vision of you. And we pray that there be nothing between us and you. And so, Lord, we give you our lives afresh. Lord, we we want to walk in victory. Uh, We don't want to walk after our own flesh. We don't want to mix the fragrances. We want to be true to your word so that people could come to know you. And so, Lord Jesus, we're grateful for your grace in our lives. We pray that you'd cause us to be emanating that grace wherever we go. Lord, we love you. We ask that you would bless us. Change us, Lord, where we need to be changed and strengthen us, Lord, for the battle that surely is ahead. We know we are more than conquerors, and so help us to walk in that triumph of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.